0: Another day, another dollar, makes you wonder where your money went.
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka scream. with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is, uh, what is today? Today's Thursday, June the 4th, 2009. This is episode 213 of the Survival Podcast. Uh... Today we're going to go back to uh, user-listener Q&A for a bit, because there's just so many questions I want to get answered, and I think that these Q&A shows are actually going to spin off and and do a a great thing to uh, create more in-depth long-term shows once we get them uh, knocked out. The other reason is I needed to do research for the subject I was going to do today, and uh, last night after I got done giving an interview, my internet went out and didn't come back till today, so I didn't have internet available uh, overnight, and uh, decided to help. Well, then I'm just going to go spend some time with my wife and hang out, and watch the TV. So I did that last night instead of getting ready for a show. So we're going to fall back to listener questions, which I think most people most people like anyway. Um, house cleaning though. First, on that note about an interview, I gave an interview last night to uh, a lady named Karen Kawatsky, and uh, she is the host of a radio show, an internet radio show called American Forum. And uh, it was about a one-hour segment. I was there for the whole segment. It was a great interview. We talked about all sorts of things, gardening, farming, the agriculture threats, the economic threat, libertarian philosophy. We even took a live call from a caller, about a uh, question about libertarianism and how it relates to Walmart. It was an awesome interview. Karen is an awesome person. Uh, she's a former uh, lieutenant colonel, served in the military for a uh, you know, full career, and uh, is now hosting this radio show on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On American Freedom Radio. And again, her show is called American Forum. I'll put a link to the archive of my interview, but I recommend you check her out. And her shows are archived off as podcasts and available for download. Uh, So you might want to check them out. American Freedom Radio, that sounds like a pretty cool place. Uh, I do think they have some Tin Hat stuff going on with some of the hosts. Uh, Not Karen, but the show that came on after hers, they brought somebody in to talk about being abducted by aliens. Uh, I'm not being fair there because I didn't listen to the show. I like the alien abduction TV shows. I've never been much fond of fond of the ones on radio, though. <laughs> I don't really know why that is. Uh, I guess maybe because I only watch them for entertainment. Uh, but let's uh, let's move on with the house cleaning. Our advertiser of the day is SOE Tactical Gear, uh, John Willis, and SOE is now taking direct orders. Again, you don't have to buy through their distributors, so uh, if you happen by John's side today, consider picking up an item or two. Uh, I think that there's a lot of great stuff there for the tactically minded individuals. Real quick, I want to remind you again, I do have an article this week uh, that was published on Monday on the the, uh, the agricultural threats and growing your own food on LewRockwell.com. L- l- I want to put a link to today's notes again. Please have a read of that article if you haven't yet. Please share it with other people. I want to do very well in the rankings this week on Lou Rockwell, and you guys can help me do that. Uh, If you like the show, if you think it's worth more than a quarter an episode, consider joining the member support brigade, and uh, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, including some special discounts that we're lining up right now, and some uh, exclusive video that I make only available to members. That pretty much uh, knocks out our uh, house cleaning for today so we can get into the questions but I got got to do this I debated I got more follow-up on this mortgage crap right the, the guy that they said you're a criminal you're basically violating the law if you intentionally don't pay your mortgage to stockpile the cash and live in the house and skip town and I've had people come out on both sides of this issue I've got a ton of emails about it if you disagree I'm okay with that it's not going to change my opinion I do want to make very clear the question that I answered. It wasn't, what do you think of a homeowner who gets in a bad financial situation and just can't pay his mortgage anymore, scrapes up whatever he can, hangs out in the house as long as he can, wishes he could make good on the note, but doesn't, and then eventually gets evicted. I still think that you had an obligation to pay, and I don't think you're going to get away scot-free, but I understand That. The question was, I don't want my house anymore. Not I can't pay for it, I just don't want it. I can't sell it for what is owed on it. So intentionally I just stopped paying. Solely for personal gain, so I can take the money I would pay and stockpile it as cash for as long as I can get away with it. That's what I called criminal behavior. And I was told that you cannot prosecute somebody for that if you can prove the intent you can. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it happens all the time. I didn't even say it was a risk. But that is criminal intent. And it is criminal fraud if you do that. And if you don't think so, and you're one of these people doing I want you to do me a favor. Write a letter stating that that's what you're doing, that's your intent, and there's nothing they can do about it, and mail it off to your lender and see what happens, if you really doubt that. I think the guy that asked this question is doing this, and he just wants me to validate his behavior. You can ask anything you like here. You're going to get an honest answer from me. Okay. The guy also wrote me back. He you didn't know it was called the Honor Podcast. I it was called the Survival Podcast. Yeah, that's your problem. And that's a problem that a lot of Americans have. You have lost the sense of what the hell honor means. And you're not a survivalist if you don't have honor. Because a survivalist today is about more than himself or herself. They're about taking care of themselves and their family. And they're about changing the image of our community. And you don't do that without honor. If you don't have any honor, that's fine. But don't expect anybody to have your back. And that's a reality. If you want to survive what's coming, you better have people you can count on. And the only person that can count on me is someone that I know has some honor. So I'm not saying any more on this. If you email me about it, I'm not even reading it anymore. So don't bother. All right, let's go on to the questions and let's get a little bit happier. Guy sends me an email says, hey, basically I was in the military for a long time as enlisted. And got out. Um, there's a guy I know that's in the California National Guard. I don't remember if it was the Air Guard or the Army Guard or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, he's an officer, and because of my prior enlistment experience and how long I was there and all, if I join now, they'll bring me in as a warrant officer. I didn't know that usually happened that way. I thought that was old school Army. New school Army was warrant officers a lot harder to achieve, especially if you weren't a pilot. Uh, but that's cool. I mean, being a warrant officer, if I was going to be in the military today, I'd rather be a warrant officer than a a regular officer or enlisted any day, you know, you can think of. Um, But the question was, does it make sense as a survivalist to be part of the California National Guard? Especially if the shit hits the fan. That's all about you. Okay, That's all about you. That's not about me or my opinion. And here's what I mean. It can be very advantageous, and it should hit the fan to be in an actual guard unit, because you know what the hell's going on. You're given a certain amount of equipment and food and preps, and you can be part of the solution instead of the problem if the people asking you to do what you're supposed to do use their brains and do things under the law. Now, as a soldier, you have a right to refuse illegal and immoral orders, so that should not be a problem, especially as a guardsman, but understand, you could end up being, if you're in the guard, one of the people holding back a crowd of hungry people, and you may not be comfortable with that, and you may not want to be part of that, and if you're a New World Order type, then you might, you know, you're going to be part of the jack-booted thugs, right, and I, I can't say that there's no there's no validity there, so you have to decide, what would you be doing, what does the unit that you would be attached to do, how does it fit into your personal life? I have a hum- tremendous amount of respect for people who have served, and for people to continue to serve. So the service is noble, but you are now a private civilian after being in the military for 20 years, I think it was. You have to make your own decision, okay, based on your knowledge of what it means to be in service as to whether you want that to be part of your life or you want the complete independent liberty that comes with now being a private citizen again. And you have to look at the balance. And I'll tell you one thing I've learned about people that are regular Army or regular whatever, and they go into the Guard, a lot of times they're not happy. Because the Guardsmen just simply do not have the level of discipline that the regular troops do. And I'm talking about things like uniform. And I know going said, right, my Guard unit is Strack. Fine. Okay, great. Yours is. I'm telling you, when they when the Guardsmen used to come down to Panama for their two weeks, they would clash with you know our senior NCOs and our officers all the time because of simple things like how uniforms work and I know a lot of people that have gone into the guard and told me it's it's not the same you know they don't, they don't take it as seriously and I don't think that's a bad thing because when you do something two weeks a year you don't take it as seriously as something you do every day of your life it's not a, it's not a, a bash on the guard tremendous respect for the guard and the reservist it's just a fact and it's something that people with 20 years sometimes have a problem with so that's the best answer I can give you there but I think service is noble I think people should consider doing it but I, I I think you really have to ask if it's right for you. Because if it's not right for you, don't do it. All right? Same advice I gave my son because I don't think the military is right for him at this point in his life. And if I thought it was right for him, I would definitely encourage him to join. Um... Next question was: Are there any podcasts that I recommend? The guy said he basically works at a shop all day long, and uh, you know doesn't have anything to do except work and listening to his uh, his music on his iPod and all. this to the show, loves it. But what else could he fill his eight hours a day with? Uh, I don't listen to a tremendous amount of podcasts. I will tell you that this American Forum show seems pretty cool. Uh, the K- Karen Kwiatkowski. So you can download my episode. She's going to be doing three a week. So and they're two hours long. So that's six hours a week. So that's uh, more content. I put out So check her out I think you'll like her I certainly did I listened to Lou Rockwell's podcast Whenever he publishes one I wish he would do More of them And they're relatively Short 12-20 minutes uh, But they're usually good and he usually has Really solid people On like Ron Paul Peter Schiff and, and it was very Much an honor For me to get on there At least once If you like it when I get really pissed off and heated up, then I've got a great podcast for you because I got a guy that's pretty much like that, eighty-five percent of the time. His name is Chris Future, and he does the, the the I think it's called the Chris Future the Future Future Radio Show or something like that. Anyway, but Chris Future Show, uh, he actually does it in his car. I think he's doing video now and all too. He's grown pretty big, but he was the person that inspired me to get in my car and do a podcast to. to take that methodology and do it. And uh, he uses much more high-end equipment, so you don't have all the background noise that you do with me. Um, I don't listen to him all the time, because it's always libertarian and politics, and it's always bashing everybody in government, and as much as I'm about that, I'm not about that all the time. There's other things I'm interested in, but uh, I've never been disappointed in listening to his show. He's always entertaining. Uh, It might get a little bit the same thing day and day day and day, over and over, over again, but if you listen to a couple shows his a week, I think you'll enjoy them. I don't really have any other recommendations right now. I would like more good podcasts myself. Oh, the Handgun Podcast. Just Google the Handgun Podcast. That's a pretty good one. Uh, but, you know, throw out things here. I am not trying to create a monopoly in this industry. I want more people doing this. I want more people contributing more things. I want to start seeing podcasters not just doing stuff on self-sufficiency. I want to see people, like, really go into the gardening, really go into the practical and the tactical, and really go into all these things deeper and let's start working together to build a safer america and a safer community a more prepared society all right um so if anybody has any suggestions go ahead and make them in the comments or in the blog or uh on the forum what have you next question uh, what do i think of solar screens for energy and for privacy another great question from these folks that are right here in my area um Here's the, here's the deal. I have solar screens on my home. On the back side of the house, I take them off every winter, and that's not so much to let more warmth in the house, which is part of it, but it's because there's one thing I don't like about them. They kill the light in your home. All that beautiful, bright light that's in your home, it kills it. And that means that you have to turn on brighter lights to light the place up, and it's never the same. So on that standpoint, I don't like the effect. Energy savings, though, I think personally it's worth it. My energy bill didn't go way, way down when we had you know added solar screens. What we found, though, was that we could actually keep the temperature in the summer of the house. And I'm I'm one of those evil carbon-burning Americans that wants my freaking house at 74 degrees. And uh, sometimes even when I when I just want to really chill out and veg out and watch TV, I turn it down to 72. And, and occasionally, just to piss everybody off, I might even go down to 71. Well, what we found is you could actually hold the temperature of the house to 74 degrees with the same settings on the thermostat. And when you came home, that was actually the temperature. Temperature of the house, and the electric bill didn't go up. Where before we had them, okay, you'd come home and you'd have it down, and the air conditioner is just pounding away, but it would be like. 78, 80 degrees, and sometimes in the really hot days, the house would kind of start running away from you and get up in the 80s, and it would take until the middle of the night to, to bring it back down. So, I would say that if we were keeping our thermostat on like 80 or 78, like many people do, they would have really cut our bills. What they did for us is let us keep our house the way we freaking want it uh, for the same amount of money of not keeping it the way we want it. So, there is an efficiency in energy savings. You give up light for it. Now, the privacy question... They're awesome for privacy. No one can see in during the daytime at all. You cannot see in, you can see out. This makes things like observing the wildlife in our backyard. I mean, it's like squirrels and birds and you know, stuff like that, folks. We don't have deer in our backyard here, but the, the stuff that does come, we have feeders right outside the window. We can sit there all day and watch them. That's really cool. Nobody can see in. That's really cool. Um, we actually have a dove on our bathroom windowsill upstairs uh, building a nest, and she There was not necessarily the same dove, but there was a dove there last year that went through three clutches of babies, and we were able to watch that from a few inches away. So that's cool as well. So you have the privacy from individuals and the enhancement of being able to see, um, you know, animal activity around your home without disturbing them. The visibility is not as good. You look through one of those screens, it doesn't have the same level of uh, clarity. So taking pictures of stuff through them, uh, even on the inside, not so much. Now here's the privacy issue I want to make you aware of if you have them and you haven't realized this yet or you're thinking about getting them. If it's dark outside and you have lights on bright inside... Your privacy from the screens themselves goes away. If you think about it, the reason you see out and people can't see in is it's lighter outside. When you reverse that, now you can't see out and people can see in. You turn the lights off even at night, the, you know, the, the, the glow from the sky and all, you can see out and people can't see in, so you get it back. But bright lights inside, privacy's gone. Please know that. One um, of my thoughts on underground shelters was the next one. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about tinfoil hat bunkers. I'm talking about, you know, good, solid underground shelter for storms, good, solid underground shelter for storage, good, solid underground shelter as a fallback location if you needed it, uh, place to maybe cache things that you don't want found easily, stuff like that. I think, awesome, awesome. And I'm going to actually look at what Safe Castle has, uh, our new sponsor, uh, in regards to reinforced structures. One of my big fears um, is... A tornadic storm. I, I've seen the results. Back in two thousand or nineteen ninety nine, I think it was, we had a massive um, storm hit the Fort Worth Dallas area. And it was the one that you may, I don't know, you know—you could live on the other side of the country and you probably have seen pictures of this. You may just not remember it. But it made national news everywhere when well, one of these F3 tornadoes that came out of the storm hit downtown Fort Worth and basically blew up the Bank One building. And everybody that looked at it said the same thing. It looked like the Murrah Federal building uh, with that Tim- Timothy McVeigh bombed in, in Oklahoma City. It's what it made you think of. That's how devastating the storm was. Well... What didn't make the news was the storm splitting into two cells and sending more tornadoes out and hitting suburban neighborhoods. One hit about it was about three-quarters of a mile away from us and absolutely leveled houses. We had no damage to our home. Uh, while this was going on, my wife, because situational awareness people, drove basically around the tornado. She was at one intersection. The tornado was at another intersection. She drove at a right angle down one road and then straight across while the tornado went intersection to intersection, got home completely in the dark, was worried about us, uh, Gets to the house. I snapped out on her, and uh, you know, what the hell are you doing driving in this? She had no idea. The next day, when we drove through the neighborhoods and she saw what she drove around, uh, she felt sick to her stomach. And that's stuck with us, and it's made it real for me that this can happen. And I don't care how much food and guns and everything you have, tornado hits your house, it blows your house down. And if you don't have a good shelter, you're in a lot of trouble. And, you know, what are you going to do, hide behind the couch or whatever? So I've looked at ways of trying to put some reinforcement uh, in our home, and there's just not a good way to do it with the way my home's laid out. And uh, it's too bad. Now, my bug out location, I'm really thinking about putting something subterranean uh, in out there. And I, it's not so much for the underground bunker. But basically what you have then is a root cellar, right, and storage with some climate control. And you have a storm shelter. So I think they're a great idea. And what I may do up there, I'm really looking right now at different pieces of machinery. And I'm looking for the most versatile digging, plowing type of machine I can find. i uh, trying to find something used, not overpriced, a small machine that will do a lot of work. Because it's not a construction site where I've got to knock it out in a week i'll have time to, to do it right and i'm looking for a good little machine uh and, and i'll probably build something like myself or at least do the excavating myself and maybe have a contractor come in so it's something i definitely want to do i'm just not willing to make the financial investment to do it at a place where i'm looking at maybe a one-year timeline before i move away if I was going to be somewhere long-term, I would really, really look at it. And on that note, I've been, I have been think we've been blessed in North Texas with a very mild year for tornadic storms. I hope that continues. Uh, we're about to hit, you know, if we get through July, the worst part of the year will be through without anything really, really bad happening. But cross your fingers if you live here, folks. Um, generally, we don't get out unscathed. Uh, next question was on dealing with deer. And I gave the guy a short answer. When he first sent me the question about a week ago, and he said, you know, I, I don't know how to deal with these deer. I basically can't afford to put up fencing, and these damn things get in my garden, and they eat everything. And my short answer was, feed them. And uh, he came back and said, I don't think feeding them is the answer. That just makes more of them." And he's right and he's wrong. And, and I didn't give him an explanation. I promised him one, so I'm doing this question on today's show. Um, what I mean by that is, in a permaculture model, everything that you grow has a purpose and usually has multiple purposes. And if you plant out away from the food that you're trying to protect in safe areas, just a massive amount of things like lettuce and clover and things like that, uh, you could still take some of it for your own use, but if the deer eat it, the deer eat it, it doesn't cost you much. And one lettuce plant will produce you thousands and thousands of seeds. If they have a place where they can eat something that feels safe, and you make the place that you don't want them feel unsafe, too open, um, surrounded with smells they don't like, surrounded with noises they don't like, then... Then they'll stick to eating the stuff that actually they prefer to eat in a safe location. And it's not 100%, but it works pretty daggone good. And there's a video that I found of this guy that uh, is in northern Europe somewhere, way up in the mountains. I mean, this guy's like 4,000 feet. And he's growing lemons at 4,000 feet elevation in northern Europe. And um, maybe 5 it's like 1,500 meters. That's about 5,000 feet. That's like Denver. And up in these mountains, and he, there's deer everywhere there. And uh, he doesn't have any problems with them. And basically, he said, you know what, I plant food for everything, not just me. So that's one thing. Now, I know what the guy was getting at. I know the answer that he wants. And I agree with it. I just don't know if it's legal where you are, so I can't just directly say do it. And that is, there's too many freaking deer, and some of them need to be turned into backstraps and biltong. I agree with that. But if you're asking me, I think what you're telling me is you can't pull it off because of local regulations or what have you. So you got to work on that with people there. But I do think, and he was talking about edge habitat. So I know the guy is 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 informed, and he's right that we've created massive amounts of edge habitat. And white-tailed deer—that's what they—they they don't want the deep forest, okay? And they don't want the open fields. They want the edge. It's usually the most effective piece of the biosphere are edges. Edges of ponds, edges of forests, edges of fields and meadows. Places where two ecosystems combine and form edge habitat. And we have, with all the suburban places that we've built around these wooded areas, we've really increased whitetail deer populations. And we need higher harvest levels. And we need more hunters. We need environmental whack jobs to get the hell out of the way and understand that if there's too many deer, eventually disease will ripple through the population and kill them in a much less humane way and that deer make good food and we have hungry people that could be being fed high quality protein if we cut the hunters loose so I agree with that I'm just telling you it's not an immediate solution and you have to deal with the problem you have if you can't afford fencing feed the freaking deer it will help. I promise you that. They're not. You're not going to give them the ability to sustain themselves any more than they already have. Well, you're telling me now if you don't feed them, they eat your garden. Give them something else to eat because they're going to eat something one way or another. You just get to control what it is. Next question. What are my plans for remote internet connectivity? Um, I said I was going to do this, and I have it. I really need to. I plan on picking up, at minimum, like either a Verizon uh, data plan or an a AT&T data plan with a little stick. You can snack, snack it into a notebook, and you get pretty good connectivity out of that. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's okay. So that's one. Long term, though, when I move there. God, i got to get off my butt and do that. I don't know why I have not yet. But long-term, when I move there, my plan right now is to uh, put in a system from a company called HughesNet, which is a satellite-based Internet service, and I think that's my best option there. I cannot get DSL. I've got phone lines there, but we, you know, the, the distance from the central office thing, forget about it. Bringing in like a T1 or a fractional T1 uh, survival podcast ain't never going to be able to fund that for me. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars a month just due to the distance of the loop. I mean, we are way out there, away from, um, you know, central office facilities and things like that. So satellite's the best option I have right now. My hope is that a lot of these rural broadband initiatives that we keep hearing about will take off, and eventually maybe we'll be able to get something using line-of-sight WiMAX. And WiMAX, if they would deploy the stuff, has a range of up to 30 miles, 30 miles. All right, and even omnidirectional can push ranges out to 15 miles. That means broadcasting in a complete sphere. Right. So, there's a lot of opportunity there to bring uh, better class internet service out into our rural communities, which I think would be a great thing. I want to see it done, but if it doesn't happen, HughesNet is my plan for now. Now, somebody contacted me about becoming an advertiser that lives in the area. I lost your email. If you're listening, I wish you'd get back in touch with me. They had a mobile internet solution, supposedly high speed, that would be really great for bug out locations. He sells a lot to people with RVs, for instance. Whoever you are, I'm sorry I can't remember name you're telling me. please get back in touch with me. I'm very, very interested in talking to you not only about sponsorship, but just being able to uh, evaluate your product for my own personal use. Uh, so if anybody knows a good solution to that, again, show notes, forum, uh, either one, and, or email me directly and let me know about it. That's something I'm very interested in myself. Next question. Can you grow t- potatoes that you get in the supermarket? If you, you know, you needed to, to, to throw some food in the ground as quickly as you could, some guerrilla gardening or something, and you had a big old 10-pound sack of uh, Kroger potatoes. Can you put them in the ground, and will they grow? The answer is sometimes. Sometimes they grow, and they produce lots of potatoes. Sometimes they grow big, beautiful plants that produce almost no potatoes, and a lot of times they don't grow at all. And the reason is they're sprayed with a chemical that is supposed to retard sprouting. So sometimes you get your potatoes out of the bag and like they've sat around too long and they have some sprouts coming out of them, that means that chemical started to wear off. So when you plant that potato, you, you, you don't know how much of that chemical is still affecting it, so you're better off with seed potatoes. And by the way, if you go down to a place that sells seed potatoes, they're pretty gone cheap. The person's issue, though, was that they can only do container gardening and they can't grow enough. So I guess they were thinking, about throwing potatoes in the ground somewhere they, where they wouldn't be bothered, and then you could, you know, start doing a little bit of gorilla gardening using, you know, maybe parkland or something like that. And I can't endorse that, but you know, you do it, you know, it's up to you what you're gonna do and where you're gonna do it and how you're gonna get or not get permission. That's leave it there. But my thought is if you live anywhere in the southern United States where it gets nice and warm, not even really far south, even the northern United States, but anywhere where it's not really, really, really freaking cold, you know, anywhere south. Of you know, like the North Dakota area, uh, anywhere up like that, down into you know, let's say zone five and up, right. Really consider sweet potatoes for that instead. You get much bigger potatoes. You get higher nutritional value. You get more dependability and reliability. You can create a lot of potato uh, uh, vines from uh, a very small amount of initial stock. Uh, They grow very, very fast, very, very heartily, and they're immune to a lot of the things that infect normal potatoes. And in my opinion, a sweet potato actually tastes better. So I would really look at considering sweet potatoes as an option for doing anything like that. And they're a very pretty ornamental vine. I actually saw an apartment complex, and I stopped, and I got out, and I looked at their flower display uh, in front of their big sign to be sure it wasn't being fooled. It was something that looked like sweet potato vine. That sweet potato vine's all in with their flowers, and it was beautiful, this light, beautiful lime green color. And uh, I was thinking, I wonder if they even realize that they're growing food there. They probably don't. That food will probably just eventually go to waste. Uh, but consider sweet potatoes for that. But, yeah, if you want to grow potatoes, get seed potato. Don't rely on what's in the supermarket. Doesn't mean you can't try it, but don't rely on it. Don't depend on it. If you need a result, get a seed-grade potato. One more thing on that, though. If you go to a farmer's market and you buy directly from the guy that grew the potatoes to, to eat them, and you take some, like, if they find some really cool, like, you know, red potatoes or blue or purple or something that's awesome, and you just want to grow some of your own, if you buy from a farmer's market from the producer, I doubt he sprayed it with any kind of chemical, you could ask. Most of those people pride themselves on using no chemicals. So those would, for all intents and purposes, be a seed grade potato as well. There's no difference between the two. It's how they're handled and how they're treated uh, that makes the difference. A potato is a seed. can't leave this one yet, uh, just because it made me think of the guy who was talking about the gross potatoes up in this northern climate and all the other stuff with the deer that I was mentioned earlier. Um, potatoes actually do produce a true seed. I've never actually seen one or held one in real life. I've always used tubers uh, to plant them, but he had some in this video, and he's done... Some pretty cool things with cross-pollination of potatoes to make some really unique potatoes uh, grown from a true seed. So that's something else to check out. I know that doesn't answer the, the person's question, but I thought I'd throw that in there. So let's go to the next question. What do I think of uh, storage units uh, as part of your planning for a shit-hitting-the-fan? I think they're good. Um, I wouldn't rely on them 100%, but let's say that you had a bug-out location five hours away, and you wanted to get it, but it didn't have a lot of room, and you weren't comfortable with a lot of your stuff being at your, your bug-out location while you weren't there. So as close as you can, within reason, you find a little storage shed, and you lock all your stuff up there, and then you plan if you ever bug out, you'll stop by and grab it. As long as you have a plan B, you know, if there's complete rioting and somebody's torn them down, or you can't get into it. As long as you have a plan B and you're not 100% relying on it, I think it's a great way to cash some extra stuff. I think it's also if you have a long distance to travel to a bug-out location and you wanted to put some stuff at a midway point, at point, not bad for that either. Or if you wanted to keep some stuff locally, I think they, they are a tool. To just understand their limitations. And uh, for food, if you think that you're going to be paying enough attention to, uh, to let's say, get your stuff before you really need it. Like, basically, you're saying everything is condition one right now, and condition five is the shit has hit the fan, and by the time we got to condition three, you would go extract your stuff. You could even consider some of, like, climate-controlled ones, which would extend the duration of the storage capacity of foods from people like Mountain House. So, I think they're a good idea. Just do not rely on them 100%. It's definitely a way, if you're worried about confiscation of certain things, like, if this shit hits the fan, will they come confiscate get your food. It might be a way to create some redundancy. For the most part, though, I would prefer to cache things on my own property if I had the room and the space and the capability. Sealed up in a uh, PVC pipe and a hole dug with post hole diggers, you can create some pretty good caches um, on your own property that are all but impossible to find. If you have a metal detector, you can uh, make it pretty easy to find them, and I would also advise doing things like writing down landmarks, uh, some way in a place that you can find, and possibly taking GPS coordinates as well. You can't always rely on a GPS to work, but if we get to a point where the satellites are knocked out, all bets are really off. And uh, But I think that you know it's one piece. Just don't rely on it 100%, and I think it's a very valid piece to consider. A lot of questions I've been getting on concealed carry holsters, uh, specifically people that carry large frame, full frame weapons, uh, 45s Tauruses, uh, you know, 9mm, Glocks, things like that, and they want to carry concealed, and especially in the summertime when it's hot out, you're wearing shorts, things like that, a lot of women asking that question as well. Uh, I use a product called the, uh, the Pager Pal, it should be called the Cell Phone Pal today, but it's been around long enough, they still call it the Pager Pal, and it looks like kind of one of the the uh, the flat saucer holsters. It's designed to be carried in the front, though. It kind of lets the gun fit right into the space on your 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 kind of your your growing slash inner thigh. And I can take a full frame 45, put it in one of these holsters, attach it to my belt, and squat down to the ground in a pair of blue jean shorts, and it doesn't show, and it's not uncomfortable. Now. This is what I've experienced with with this product. I, I've talked to a lot of people that have used it. About 50% of the people liked it initially and then long-term really didn't like it. And about 50% of the people love it and wouldn't use anything else. So it, it, it's kind of up to you at this point, but I've really found it to be highly useful. And the company that makes it also makes a model-specific wallet holster. It looks like a men's billfold. There's a spe- specific model of Celtic. Pistol, and I think one or two other pistols that have uh, model-specific varieties, and you put the pistol into this thing, and there's a hole for the trigger, and you carry it like a billfold. And if you pulled it out, you have plenty of time to discharge it um, before the person would realize what it was. It looks just like a billfold. So classic hold-up, give me your wallet, great, here you go, keep the change, bang, 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 right? Um, small caliber weapon not the most effective but a very interesting way to carry a backup something I recommend you check out I don't have any other major recommendations again show notes or forum if you have a recommendation for a good concealed carry holster especially for people when they're wearing summer clothing or especially for women that don't want to carry in their purse please let us know what you think that is I think we'd like to really have some group thought on that one but pager pal or PDA uh, cell phone pal I think is a great Product, I'll put a link to their website and uh, check it out. And it really does what they say it does. Some people just, like I said, about half the people eventually decide it's not as comfortable as they initially thought. Another great question. I guys said, you know, how would gold and silver exchange work in a shit hit the fan? If you had a $20 gold coin, surely in shit hit the fan you're not going to say, okay, that's 20 bucks. here's a $20 gold coin. Since the dollar's not worth anything anymore. Absolutely not. You're right. It's not in any way what would be done. There's two ways it would work. One, society as a whole may decide that the value of, you know, when there's almost no food, a sack of potatoes is worth three ounces of silver, right, or, or, you know, $3 face value of U.S. silver coin. The market will set a price based on availability and what people are willing to accept in exchange. And it's true, no currency left, all currency gone, shit hit the fan world. That's, That's how that would play out. That's why I'm a big believer in silver... And gold, not just gold. Because even a tenth of an ounce of gold is a significant amount of gold. And you have to barter for an awful lot to make the exchange worthwhile. So by carrying both or having both, you make yourself better situated in a barter situation. But the real value, especially of gold with a lot of value in a small package, is that it's liquidatable into currency at the time. So let's say that inflation runs rampant and the cost of a sack of potatoes goes from 4 bucks right to 50 bucks well the corresponding value of gold underlying will go up equivalent, so what you do is you take some portion of your gold, and instead of getting $800 or $900 an ounce for it, in that runaway inflation model, maybe you get $5,000 an ounce for it. So you only liquidate enough to buy what you need to get by, and you immediately exchange the currency. That's one way. Another way, and I've talked about this in a prior show, it's also for currency exchange if you had to flee. Let's say that the United States so broke down, we started saying, hey, Mexico looks pretty freaking good. All right? You know, all these people coming here from Mexico. We're going to Mexico, or we're going to to Panama, or or we're, we're we're jumping and we're going to Canada, or you know maybe it's Europe. I don't know where, but for one reason or another, things have gotten so bad here that someplace else looks better temporarily or permanently. Well, if that currency meltdown has occurred and you show up with a suitcase full of American dollars or a bank account in American dollars, they're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, here's a here's one Canadian dollar for your ten thousand American dollars. But if you show up with 10 ounces of gold. You can exchange it for the currency of choice wherever you are. So that's how that would work. Okay, last question today. This is an easy one. It's not really a survival question, but I get it on the forum. I get it by email a lot. Thought I would do something fun today. The the question is, Jack, who sings that intro song? And uh, is it just simply called Another Day, Another Dollar, which is what it sounds like? And you know, where can I find it? And would you play the whole thing? Well, right now you're hearing the music start. And today you'll hear the entire song if you want to listen to it. The gentleman's name is Bob Moss, and I'll put a link to a site where you can download some of his other music if you like what he's doing. This is been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: And you can holler. gets spent I saw your brother just this morning standing in that unemployment line the line was long the boy he was worried Take you back to work on time. The the time, and where the time and goes. Another day, another dollar. It makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream, and you can holler, but it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent. You no, know it really doesn't matter, telling all gets spent.